Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed epiphany this Friday, February the 25th, as the light shines on us with Psalm 132. What it says right below this is, that is a song of ascent, which reminds me that often the Psalms were sung that they were sung as part of their worship, preparing for worship. And we'll find out more of what that means to have a song of ascent. And also today, that reminds us of identity, who we are with the Lord. We proclaim it, we believe it, and today we will study it as we know that the Lord has chosen you on account of Christ. As we dig in this morning, we remember that these are gifts, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. That Wrong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information about their great work around the world, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us back Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Pastor Heine, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor Finner. It's great to be with you again and to dive into some of the Psalms, one of my favorite places to go almost on a daily basis to, to join God and to meet him there. So it's good to be studying them with you today. Yeah, thank you. It is a, um, you know, the big burning question I know everyone has on the program is you've been in Kansas for a few years. So the question is, have you converted to either a Jayhawk or a Wildcat yet? Yeah, no, I'm going to have to go with no on that. Uh, <laughs> spent many years in Michigan and I'm going to stick with my Wolverines, I think, mm. but you know, they'll keep working on me. That's right. That's right. I just, I knew that's a real thing in Topeka as I served my vicarage in North Topeka, that you kind of had a split between the two, K-State or KU, and we had your district president on, and he's an adamant uh, KU fan. So I thought maybe he had visited your office a few times and twisted your arm. You know, he, he can twist, but he won't get too far. <laughs> but then we also have a few... Uh, who are poor for Emporia State and Wichita State. So we get them from all over. That's right. It's a very, uh, yeah, well, unique place to be, but thanks be to God for it. Pastor, anything else for you and your family going on? Oh, you know, we're, we're, I think like most people, it's February and we're ready to see some sun and warmth and enjoy some, some downtime. Spring break's coming quick. And I know my girls are really looking forward to, to having a, a break from school and, to, to relax a little bit. And I think we're all looking forward to the spring coming here and, uh, you know, Lent's around the corner and that means Easter is also on the horizon, which is the joy we have as Christians and knowing his love for us. And, you know, and that's a reading we had a few weeks ago, at least in the three electionary. In fact, Christ has risen from the dead. And that's, I, I, you said that, that that's the fact that we cling to in our hope at all times. So pastor today, Uh, We're doing the Psalms. As I told our listeners um, this week, we took a step back from Matthew. We've been in Matthew since the beginning of December, and our goal is to end exactly at that time you just mentioned, is Easter, to end that week after, to have um, go through the whole narrative in the book of Matthew. In order to do that, we had to take a few steps back because, well, you know, we're moving along. So we're in the Psalms, and the Psalms are so important for us to be able to look at the dynamic of prayer and the uniqueness of all of them and the kind of prayers they are. So today, Pastor, how we've been doing this is I will pr- uh, read, and in essence, I am praying. We are praying together as God's people the whole psalm, and then come back and get some of your first thoughts about 
what is a song of ascents and any background information you might have. So let's begin our time in prayer. Psalm 132, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and we will end with the Gloria Patri. The Song of Ascent, Psalm 132, we pray. Remember, O Lord Yahweh, David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the Mighty One of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the Mighty One of Jacob. Behold, we heard it in Ephrathah. We found, we found it in the fields of Ja'ar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. Her saints will shout for joy. There will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Pastor, as you look at Psalm 132, it says right below it, a song of ascents. What did you find on that? Because it, you know, there's a number of chapters here, a number of psalms that say that. What, what did you find on that uh, little few words, song of ascents? Yeah, the, the psalms are so rich and so wonderful. I'm glad that you're doing them as prayers because, I mean, certainly that's what they're intended to be, prayers and, uh, and songs and, and things that we lift up to God. And these are, are really special ones. From 120 to 134 are what are considered the Psalms of Ascent or the Songs of Ascent. Uh, and they would have been sung as, in particular time in worship. A lot of times when the Israelites were coming into the temple, uh, there, there's kind of two different times that they think these would have been, been prayed or sung or meditated on. Uh, one of them is the possibility of when they're walking up the 15 steps that would have been uh, between the court of the women and the court of the Israelites, these would be sung uh, by the, from the choirs from above as people were walking up those steps. That idea of uh, ascending to the house of God, coming up to him and drawing our attention to who he is and the goodness that he has and his gifts for us. You'll notice that most of these psalms uh, pull us up where they lift us up. They, they draw our attention to God grace and his giving of wonderful gifts. We're going to see that in Psalm 132. They also, uh, and Psalm 121 is probably a good example of this, but probably all these at some point would have also been used as people are going up to Jerusalem to worship because we know you always go up to Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if you're coming from north, south, east, or west. Jerusalem sits on a hill, and so you're always going up to 
Jerusalem, you're always going up to the temple as it's sat on the high point, uh, Temple Mount. You're always going up to God. And so these would be sung by worshipers, especially as they're coming in for one of the, the major festivals, you know, Tabernacles or Passover or Pentecost or any of the major festivals of which the Israelites would come to Jerusalem. They would be singing and praying these psalms as they went up to Jerusalem, uh, preparing themselves for worship, preparing for their time before the Lord and for the gifts that he would give uh, to them as they, they worshiped and brought their sacrifices and all the different pieces of worship that went into it. So when we join in these psalms, we also are coming before the Lord and the joy of knowing that God still welcomes us into his presence. And we're going to talk more about that uh, presence in Psalm 132, especially. And I love how you said that because one that is very commonly known of the Song of Ascents is Psalm 121. When he says, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? This is not only a, you know, a symbol of saying, you know, when I look up, you look at the mountains, then, you know, the same way we look to the Lord, they were actually literally doing that as they probably sang the song of ascents. They're looking up, there's a temple and they're going up and, and, and like some traditions have it that people join them. And where are their eyes? Well, they're up because if you hike a mountain, you're looking up. If you're going up a hill, you're looking up to find your way. And what better way for us to realize that, um, that this is what the people were doing. In essence, we, as we study and pray this Psalm are looking up to the Lord for help. So any, anything else on the uniqueness of Psalm 132, kind of a, anything broad overview or anything that you found? Yeah. So Psalm 132 is probably one of the most interesting, um, I don't know if most interesting, probably the right way to put it, but it's so interesting because it's so different from the other Psalms of Ascent. If you, you'll notice that a lot of the Psalms of Ascent are very short, a uh, few verses, couple verses, as the case may be. You know, Psalm 131, right before this, is only three verses. This one, uh, chiming in at 18 verses, is the longest of them. And it also has this dualness to it that's different than the other ones. Uh, the other ones draw our eyes to Zion, to the, the holy mountain of God, to the temple where Psalm 132 also draws our attention to David and the one who sits on David's throne. And the, the idea that God's presence goes together with, you know, with a location, but also with a person. And, you know, that's, that's really a beautiful theme and one that connects us into the New Testament, into Christ, obviously, in our Christology. Uh, maybe even, you know, we can think a little bit about Paul in Philippians and uh, the one who, who did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. And we'll see that come through in Psalm 132 as well. Well, let's get to it. I, this is, uh, like you said, there's 18 verses. So we need, we want to, we want to get through them all today, but also want to do it slowly as often, if you're anything like me, pastor, I will do a Psalm and it's just like, let's get this thing done. Let's just go, you know, then I can tell people, or at least tell my own heart. I got done with a Psalm today. But what a joy it is for us today. It's slowly go through this as we hear the word of God. So I'm going to start this way. I found notations in our Lutheran study Bible that kind of separated it with a number of verses at a time. Uh, and what they say is verses one through five, and they say a place for the Lord. And we'll still start there and, and, and see what the Lord has in store. We begin. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. 
I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Now, Pastor, it says here, a place for the Lord. And this is kind of a, a strange language because, as we know, that God is everywhere. So what does he mean, a place for the Lord? What would you find in these first five verses? What we have going on here is probably a reference back uh, to David. And if you remember in the Old Testament, David desired to build a palace for God, you know, a temple for God. And if you remember the story, God built him into a temple, and his son, Solomon, was the one who actually uh, ended up building the temple for the Ark of the Covenant. But David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Uh, in his reign when he ascended to the throne. And so we know that in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Old Testament, that was the place where God resided, you know, between the cherubim on the mercy seat of the Ark. This is why it was such a holy place, and it went into the Holy of Holies, and uh, you couldn't touch it, and only the, the high priest would go in, because that was the place where God promised to meet man, that he would be there. Yes, we know God is in the fullness of the earth, and everything is his, and, and the world is his, and God is present. But it's like our worship, right? We know where we're going to find God. We know where we're going to meet Christ. You know, yeah, you could meet God out on the golf course, but the reality is, is you probably won't because um, you'll be too distracted and too busy missing that little ball as it goes sideways. But we know that God is present, that Christ is present in a place, and he's present in his word and his sacrament. So when we come to worship on Sunday, we know that we're meeting Christ there at the altar, uh, in his word proclaimed that Christ is present because he's promised to be there. So we truly do believe as well uh, in our sacramental theology that Christ has a place and we can find that place. Uh, and so, you know, here in, in Psalm 132, we're reminded of that, but we're also reminded of what, you know, the temple was. It was the place where God met man and his, his dwelling place was there. And this is a reference, uh, and this is what I love about the Psalms is that a lot of times it will connect either to the New Testament. We had some of that this week with Psalm 16, but also it connects to the Old Testament, which you're referring to in 2 Samuel 6 and 7, where David brings that into uh, the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And he uses really fascinating language. I would say these are actions of faith. I will not enter my house or get into my bed or I'll not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord. So what does this tell us about David? Did you, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it shows his faithfulness. Um, you know, the faithfulness of David, where he truly desired to serve God, uh, to serve Yahweh. He was, you know, the, the man after God's own heart, you know, we're told. And so he, he truly had this desire to have a place for God and to, and to know his presence. Um, and you can see this in that language in this quote, uh, here, you know, he, he refuses, you know, I'm not going to go to bed. I'm not going to go to my house. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sleep. I won't do anything until I have done what I have vowed, right? The, the vow to, to provide a place for God to dwell, um, in the city where he is. And what a, what a wonderful blessing that is to know, you know, to have a heart like that and, and to know he was. Uh, desiring such a wonderful thing for God and, and for his dwelling place. 
And so why would that be important for David and for us? As you mentioned, this is worship. Why is that important for us that there's a place um, for God to dwell, assuming, as, as you said so well, all that we understand about God? But why is it important that we have a place that God dwells for David and also for us today? Well, we need a place to, to meet God. We need a place to find God. Um, I think of this world, and I run into this often in ministry, working with people, dealing with people, that question of, you know, where is God? You know, in the, in the mess, mess of my life, in the, the, the dangers that are going on and the temptations of the devil, sometimes we're so distracted and so caught up in other things that we're, you know, we start asking that question. I know I have in my life a, a time or two where we start asking, you know, well, where's God? Where's God in the midst of this? Where can I find God? Um, and when we're lost, we need a place to go. And God reminds us that in our brokenness, in the simple world and in, in the chaos of life, we have a place to go. Uh, we can go to God and we can find God. And he tells us exactly where to find him. You know, and the word proclaimed in the, in the sacrament given in that time of worship, he's there to, to pour his gift into us. He's there to pour his grace into us. And knowing that we have a place that we can go when everything's falling apart or when the world seems so hard or our lives seem so broken it is there's value in that. Uh, and it, it pulls us, you know, we're, we keep going back and forth from the old Testament to the new Testament, but you know, John one, God's dwelling places, you know, he, he tabernacles with us. He, he comes and dwells with us, becomes incarnate with us. And we still find that incarnation in the word proclaimed in, in the sacrament given and what a joy that is for us. I find I, I do want to reflect on this too and see if you have any thoughts because I I kind of struggle with this a little bit is his first words or the psalmist's first words, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. So he asked the word remember. And and it's a strange thing, much like the 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 omnipresence of God, he's everywhere. Well, God already knows everything. And so when he says, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, he's asking God to remember this, which is kind of a strange, uh, I guess you say prayer song to have with a God who knows everything. And did you have any reflections on that? That probably really sets the tone for this whole psalm. Any thoughts? It really does. I remember such a powerful word, especially in the Old Testament. You know, I've run across this many times, and, and I think people struggle with it when they stop and they really think about it, the all knowing, always present, all powerful God. And we hear the word remember, and that makes us think that God forgets. Mm. So if God remembers, he must forget, but if he's all knowing, how can he forget? Right. Um, and we see this with Noah uh, in Genesis chapter eight, verse one, God remembered Noah and all those on the ark with him. Uh, we see it with uh, Rachel. God remembered Rachel and her barrenness. Uh, the children of Israel and Egypt, God remembered them and heard their, their struggle. And we, we wonder, like, how could God forget? Well, we have to call to mind. I use the word, I'll use the phrase, call to mind. That remember, especially biblically speaking, in Hebrew, is more of a call to action or uh, a call to do something. It's not necessarily a forgetful sort of thing, but it's more of the idea of calling God to do something, uh, you know, calling God to, to act upon his promises. It's not that he forgets because we know God knows everything. And we, we know that God's timing is not always our timing, but we're calling on him to remember the promises, remember the, the gifts that he has given 
and to act upon them, to, to bring them to fruition right now. So here, the, the, the psalmist, and I think most scholars from what I was reading probably believe this was Solomon, though we, we can't be certain, but, you know, there's some internal evidence that might point that way. Um, he's, you know, calling God to action. Remember the promises you gave to David. Remember the favor that you gave to, you know, the favor you had on David and on his throne, um, how he, he endured hardship for you. Act on that. Do what, do what you promised to do, uh, which is also what we're supposed to do, calling God to remember his promises of grace and love and mercy that he has for us. And so, Pastor, as we look at the first five verses, like you said, it brings us back to the Old Testament. It brings us back to our, our knowledge of God, not only that he remembers, but that we can ask him again. We see this all the time in the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, where, you know, that kingdom come, you know, obviously his kingdom's going to come, but we pray it may come upon us now also. And that's the same thing here. As the, as the thief, on the cross, thief on the cross, excuse me, said, you know, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. And, and that's for us too. Lord, remember me and Lord, help me to remember your promises. So anything else in those first five verses before we move on? You know, I, I think that's uh, trying to think if there's anything else we haven't hit. And I think we've hit just about everything in there. Um, you know, just the, the wonderful introduction here, I think, you know, that idea of, you know, finding a place for God or, or finding the place of God and how that's going to lay out before us. Sounds good. Well, let's continue on. Verses six and seven. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. In our Lutheran study Bible, it separates this and it highlights it as a place found. How would you look at these two verses, Pastor? I, I think this would be looked at uh, from my, my readings of this, my study of this, as finding the ark. I mean, we, we find the place. The place is the Ark of the Covenant, and it points us back to uh, where they found uh, God, right? Where they found the Ark. So Jaar um, would be probably connecting with Kirith Jerem, which is where the Ark had resided for several years before coming to Jerusalem, before David brought it to Jerusalem. So that that seems to be a pretty standard and um, foundational spot there. Uh, so we found God, we found the ark, we found the, the place where God dwells. Um, the reference to Ephrathah, though, is a little bit more uh, difficult because there's mm-hmm. disagreement as to whether this would be uh, OU Bethlehem Ephrathah from Micah and that uh, wonderful you know, Advent Christmas reading that reminds us that Christ comes from the, the small tribe, forgotten, uh, same area as David would have. Or is this a reference to Ephraim, which would also be an area of which the Ark resided? Um, and, you know, theological arguments can probably be made on both sides, but probably the, the bigger idea here is the behold, look, pay attention. Here is where the place of God was found. Um, you know, the Ark was found and, and it's going to come into our presence in Jerusalem to Zion uh, to the place where the throne of David is. And that's where the focus in verse seven, it's very clear. It's not, okay, this is the exact spot. Let's make sure that we have this historically correct, even though that was what they did. 
But what's the goal? Worshiping the Lord. Let's go and worship him. I mean, there's no question about, I mean, there's a, there's a definite joy that they have of, of that not only do we know the spot, but we, we know what to do. And that is to worship the Lord where God's presence was with the Ark of the Covenant. And there are the thoughts you have, Pastor, in these two verses. Yeah, yeah the worship part here, you know, let's go to, go to his dwelling place, let's worship at his footstool. Um, this idea of, you know, God's feet touching the earth, you know, with the ark, this is his, his footstool, which you know, is a beautiful connection. We, we've seen in other places in scripture where, you know, the, the earth is Lord's footstool uh, because his, his uh, ark is here, his mercy seat, the place where he dwells. But this idea of worship, uh, I think the word in the Hebrew is maybe better translated as prostrate yourself or bow down before um, the idea of coming in both joy and excitement, but also humble submission, knowing that you are in the presence of the Almighty God, uh, who has made heaven and earth. And, and there's there's both joy in that, but there's also awe in that. And you know, something that you know maybe we have lost sometimes in our worship is the, the sense of, of joy and awe that go together as we come into the presence of God. I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break. We are studying and praying Psalm 132 with Pastor Jacob Heine, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying and praying Psalm 132 with Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. And Pastor, you just got, you just concluded our time talking about uh, we will lose sight, meaning Pastor and others <laughs> very often, that when we're in the presence of God in worship, and you can guarantee this happened even around the Ark of the Covenant for people, and we see this in the Bible too, that there's a lack of awe or... Um, uh, just reverence. I don't want to say that flippantly by any means, but reverence or awe of being in the presence of God. And and why is that such a problem for them and for us? Uh, it seems like, well, it's, a, it's a weekly battle, I would argue. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's our simple nature. Um, you know, we can go to the Old Testament and, and look at their worship and realize how much it became just something you had to do, which you, we can argue today. We have that same mentality sometimes like, we're going to go to worship. We'll get it out of the way so we can get on with our week. I mean, that's something Amos in his prophecy uh, talks about, you know, this idea that, you know, it wasn't taken seriously. But I think the other part of it that we deal with, especially on uh, this side of the, of eternity and in our 21st century is the idea of entertainment. We're so entertained anymore uh, that we get bored easily. You know, sitting in, in worship and, and doing the same thing we've done every week, you know, we wonder, well, what good is this? What, you know, is it really helpful? I'm, I'm bored. I'm not paying attention. You say the Lord's Prayer, and a lot of times we 
you know, mumble through that in 15 seconds and we don't pay attention to what we're saying. Um, and to stop sometimes. And I, I think, you know, the way we go through the scriptures here on Thy Strong Word is a great way of doing this. You know, to stop sometimes as Von Hafer would have us do and really meditate on one verse or, you know, the psalmist says in Psalm 1, you know, to chew on God's word, you know, to chew the cubs and meditate on it. Give us that, that I, that time to really find the awe of God and realize that he is present and doing something. Um, but in our fast paced world, and they certainly had in the old Testament too, even though they had different distractions, uh, we lose sight of it. We, we get ourselves distracted and forget the joy that is there and being in the presence of God and what wonderful gifts he gives if we, when we stop and spend time with him and really appreciate what he has done. And I think that's a great segue, Pastor, as you say that, is verses 8 through 10 kind of move them, move us away from kind of like saying, well, this is what God promised, remember this, to, I guess you say, action. Like you said with the word remember is, okay, now I'm going to ask the Lord to do the action. I'm asking him to do exactly what he has promised to do. So let's continue verses 8 through 10. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Now, God, the, the psalmist is basically telling us and everybody to ask the Lord to action. Go to your resting place, and this is what we are pleading for you to do. And what, what is the psalmist asking? He's asking for uh God to come and be present, right? I mean, to go to the place where he's promised to be so that, you know, we could know him, so we can be with him. Um, and, and, you know, I think this is where the, the two themes of the psalm come together, the, the location, Zion, but also the, the person uh, in David, right? We, we get, go to Zion. That, that's the idea here. Go up to your resting place. Go to the place where you will dwell. Uh, be present there in your ark with your might. But do it, right? Verse 10, for the sake of your servant David, for the sake of the, the throne of David, because there, this points us forward, right? There is one coming who uh, is the anointed one, uh, who will... Uh, who will bring your might and bring your rest, right? Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, laden, and I will give you rest. And, you know, this wonderful, beautiful uh, picture of the merging of these two themes comes together here in 8 through 10 as we see God uh, coming into uh, Jerusalem and coming into the, pre the place of his presence. And he speaks about, the priest being clothed with righteousness and your saints shout for joy. That's a wonderful language, one, connecting to what they did, but also to what we do today. Any, any thoughts on, to me, that's just it's overwhelmed with grace, as it tells, grace and joy, kind of that back and forth, receiving the grace, shouting for joy that, that we do as well today. Any thoughts on, on that very um, clear language that he uses? Yeah, but they the wonder of being clothed, I like this idea of being clothed. We think of being clothed with righteousness and being clothed with God's love and taking on the white robe of righteousness that we're given uh, in baptism. You know, there, there's all these different beautiful imagery that comes through 
and just that idea of being closed. Uh, one reason that in our liturgical uh, traditional services, we wear, uh, you know, the, the all the, and the, the, that white robe that shows us that we're, you know, it, we're washed in the blood of the lamb and that we stand in the stead of Christ. And there, there's so much beautiful imagery that happens there. And when we see that, uh, whether it's on our pastor, um, whether we see that in the scriptures as we read all those different pieces, it should bring about that overwhelming joy, the, the shout of joy, the bringing of the song, you know, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, all that that comes out of that. I love the, the psalmist way he says, you know, make a joyful noise to the Lord. I always tell my congregation, he doesn't say make sound, you know, only sing if you're singing prettily, you know, it's. <laughs> that joyful noise that comes from the righteousness of God. And he even says, shout. It doesn't really even say sing in harmony by any means. It just says, shout. So um, this Sunday, I think it'd be appropriate for, especially for those who are members of, uh, attenders of Pastor Heine's church, is that just start shouting. See what he does, you know, just right in the middle I, of service. What do you think? I, I Sounds good. Or how about... Sing louder than I think. That would work too. <laughs> that that be sufficient. Absolutely. <laughs> I do. I, I do. I do love that because we do. Well, we talk about this distraction. We can even get distracted on the quality of our singing. Um, you know, you hear someone behind you singing in harmony and a couple or something, and you and you lose sight of why we're there. I once I was thinking of this too when you were talking about we do the Lord's prayer, but we were thinking what we're doing. There was a, a wonderful lady at my first congregation that they had a meeting with the evangelism team, and then they ended with the Lord's Prayer. And at the end of it, she was a, such a, a strong woman, and she just said, okay, I don't think we really tried on that one. And she was right. I mean, everyone kind of mumbled through it, and she wasn't like being a jerk or anything, but she was right. It's like, okay, let's focus back on the Lord. And so then we re-prayed it. It was just like, wow, this is an amazing, faithful person, but how easy that can be. But here, it reminds us of our identity, clothed with his righteousness. And so how can we not help but shout for joy for all that he has done? Anything else, Pastor, 8 through 10? I think just the, the, the last piece here um, in verse 10, you know, we should note this idea of turning, uh, you know, repenting, the word uh, to turn or to repent. Uh, you know, the call here, reminds us and i think we lose it sometimes in our english translations of you know god does not turn from us uh and so he calls us to turn to him and this beautiful you know calling to mind here do not turn away from the face of your anointed one you know re remember act upon uh be there for we call god to, to not do that and so it also calls us in our lives to return to him and to return to the to that righteousness which he has for us. Let's continue on, verses 11 and 12. The Lord Yahweh swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on my throne. So it sounds here that he is, um, he's speaking about a covenant. What is he speaking about uh, with uh, David, the sure oath, and what that means for them? And I guess, what does it mean for us? Thoughts, 11 and 12. Yeah, the, the covenant that God made that he would uh, establish David's 
throne forever, that there would always be someone to sit upon that throne. And, you know, no matter what comes, no matter what would happen in the lives of the Israelites, they held to that promise. You know, God, you promised to reestablish the throne. You promised that a, a shoot would come up from the stump of Jesse. And, you know, when we point forward on this, this is certainly uh, looking towards Christ. Uh, the, the reminder that there will be a son forever that sits on the throne. And he, he sat he sat down um, on the cross for us, but he also ascended to the right hand of God where he reigns for all eternity. And so we see in this uh, the promise that God had made to David, that there would be someone on the throne of David uh, forever. And here we also see that fulfillment in Christ our Lord. And that's something that's it's hard for us to understand covenants in our world because there's there's really a um how do you say it I give you this and you give me that and and here we kind of feel that a little bit like God okay I made this covenant with David now don't walk away from me or else kind of the feel how would you how would you describe a covenant because our minds I mean when's the last time I made a covenant like you and I made it maybe made a covenant that if I buy you a soda today then tomorrow you'll buy me one. But that's kind of how we think of it. But with God, it's different. How would you describe that difference of God's covenant and our covenants? Yeah. I, and it's such a difficult thing to try and understand because it's not yeah. quite a contract. It, it has some similarities to a contract, right? You do this and I'll give you that. If you break this, then you, know, you lose that. And there's certainly a level of that in, in covenant. We see that on Sinai and different things. But there's also this, understanding of who God is and his perfection and our sinful brokenness that really plays into this. God can never break his covenant, right? If he, if he swears to do something, he will do it. Um, even though we will always break our end of it. And so the grace of this is though there is certainly consequences to our actions. You know, we see that with the, the Sinai covenant, they broke the covenant. They were, uh, expelled from the land, but not forever, right? God's love and mercy still is there, and God will still keep his end of the covenant even when we don't. And so um, it's, you know, trying to understand a covenant <clears throat> and trying to put it into our, you know, our understanding and our our simple broken minds um, is it, so difficult because it's, to do that is to try to understand the mind of a perfect God uh, who loves us unconditionally. And I don't, you know, I struggle with that. I'm sure we all do. Right. Oh, that's, that's really good because there is that, that incomprehensible understanding of, well, well, well it kind of seems like he might break a covenant occasionally in the Bible, but ultimately as this, as this speaks about, you know, I will set, I, one of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. I mean, clearly it's pointing us to Christ. I mean, this is a, this is a pointing us to Jesus and that covenant that comes through him by his blood, we are saved. And then we're like, but, but we have to do something. And you say, no, like, no, but we have to do something. It's a covenant after all. And the covenant is, is hard to understand because ultimately we don't think anything can come free, but yet we could, we would argue as Christians, it doesn't come free. It comes by the blood of Christ, not anything on account of us, which is so hard to understand, which should lead us to what? Sing Souch of Joy, as opposed to asking more questions. Maybe we just need to be more joyful with the righteousness he's given. Any thoughts? Uh, my mind is blown too. I, I can't quite understand it. 
but we bring it back to Christ. Other last thoughts before we move on. Yeah. When we spend time in this section and yeah, I think you're right. How we need to come back to that righteousness, right? It's not dependent on us. The covenant is not dependent on you or me. If it was, we'd never be saved. Thanks be to God. It's not on us. And when we can really appreciate that, when we can let that sink in and it's very difficult to, because you're right. We always want to do something. Our simple nature says, well, I've, I've got to earn it. I've got to do something. But when, you know, you hear those wonderful words, I think that's the beauty of private confession absolution. When you hear those wonderful, uh, beautiful words spoken to you that your sin, that particular sin is forgiven, the weight that comes off of you, the weight that comes off of somebody and the, the joy, the tears, the, the explanation of this is not because I deserve it, but it's because God is gracious and wonderful and righteous. And yeah, the shout for joy that comes from that. Well, we'll, we'll stick with that. Um, Pastor, as we move on, the last number of verses really brings it back together in a, in a wonderful way. So I just wanted to ask again, mainly because I feel like I, whenever I do this, I always forget something that I remember from the past, but we're going to get to this chosenness from 13 through 18. So I want to ask anything from one through 12 that you might've missed or you wanted to highlight. Oh, sure. There is, uh, <laughs> if I can remember it all, it'd be a whole nother thing. Um, I, I think just, just structurally, sometimes the things we miss, and this is you know why you want your pastors to study the original languages. Verse 11 is a really interesting one because it's the only tricola of all the, the verses here. They're all bicola, meaning there's, there's two lines basically that go back and forth. And this is the only time you get a tricola, which should draw our attention to it. It says there's something happening here, something different. Uh, the, the author here is pulling our attention to verse 11. And I think just coming back to that, you know, Yahweh swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn his back. One of the sons of your body will set upon your throne. And this whole, this whole uh, chapter, this whole psalm kind of revolves around that. Uh, but all of scripture does. I mean, this, this is the, the story of God's salvation almost boiled down to one verse. So we see this in a lot of verses in scripture where the whole story is boiled down to one thing. So what a wonderful promise. You know, Yahweh will not turn his back on you. He will not turn away from you. And, your, and his promise of one of the sons of your body, knowing this is Christ, will sit upon the throne. Uh, this is, you know, that huge. And the, the author here definitely wants to draw our attention to that. Wonderful. Well, let's continue on then. As you look at the rest of Psalm 132, which there's a lot of gems in here, but I want to, I think it all connects in verses 13 through 18, where the, um, in the Lutheran study Bible, it says Zion is chosen, the, the chosen Zion. It says, for the Lord Yahweh has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints I will sing will shout for joy. Her saints will shout for joy, excuse me. There I'll make a horn to sprout for David. I prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies will clothe, I will clothe with shame, but on him, his crown will shine. So it says right away, pastor, about choosing Zion. Um, 
What's Zion? Who's he? What is he talking about? Is Zion here would uh, is the the idea of the place of the dwelling place of God? So the the mount, um, the uh, the temple mount, the place where God is um, is referred to as um, as Zion, and it's a location uh, of God's God's grace um, where. God meets man, where the sacrifices happen, where atonement is made. So here, <clears throat> is, you know, Yahweh is saying that this is this is the spot. This is where you will find God, and you know, brings us back kind of to the beginning where we're talking about like where's where's the place? Where are we going to find God? Where are we going to locate Him? And here, and the, the psalmist says, you know, lift your eyes, right? The psalmist says, lift your eyes, look up. Here's the place. God's chosen it. it it's right here. This is where you'll find God. And it is interesting because Zion, Zion can be so confusing. You say, okay, what is Zion now? Are we talking about heaven? It can be used as that. We can, it can be uh, the church, you know? So here uh, we are uh, gathering as God's people in Zion. And here it's clear, as you said so well, that, okay, there's the spot. There's the place. That's where we know that we can go for he desires to dwell there. So the, this is a fulfillment of what David, I'm not going to rest until I find the place. And now he's telling him, you can rest because the Lord will rest. And, and, and it's just kind of a, um, my resting place forever. And you, you spoke about this before. Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. I think that's an important piece here. And, and why is that important for us as Christians, this understanding of rest as we hear it so well here in the Psalms? Yeah. I, what, what's one of the first gifts that God gave to man. I mean, he created everything for man in Genesis chapter one. We know that, you know, he, all the days of creation happen before he creates man. But once man's made, what's the first thing he gives them? A Sabbath, a day of rest, uh, a day to be in his presence. Um, you know, the third commandment, you know, remember the Sabbath day, the day of rest, keep it holy. And we know that this means for us to treasure God's word, the preaching of it, being in worship, being there together, that we find rest different than, you know, it's not a nap, but it's being in the presence of God, trusting in God, knowing his, his grace that is abundant and clear for us in the midst of everything that happens in life and, and the world. And so God gives us rest. And when we wonder where are we going to find our rest, Christ tells us, come to me. I am your rest, right? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am here for you. Uh, you find rest, true, um, true rest in the presence of God uh, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is why the struggle I know for me and as pastors, but for everybody, is that we there's things that need to be done in worship, right? I mean, we want to see the, the, the worship time, our time and devotions to be a time of rest, but yet, it can be anything but rest, you know, you're ushering, you're, you have someone playing, playing music, you have the pastor preaching, you have, you know, elders helping out with communion and, and all these different moving parts. And then we have Sunday school after we have all this pastor, what would be your encouragement to our listeners that there's so much to do at church? <laughs> How can you tell me this is a place of rest? How would you encourage our listeners and even your own members or my members about, no, this is a place of rest. How would you encourage us? Um, I think I, I tell my members, and I think I have told some members in the past, um, to slow down, 
you know, to, to take a moment, you know, there's a lot going on. Obviously, you know, worship can be busy. And if you're involved in the worship service doing something, uh, you're, you're active and you're busy. But there's always a moment for all of us uh, to take a, a breath, as it were, or, or to slow down and listen. And, you know, this is one of the things I, I appreciate, um, though we print our, you know, print the scriptures in the bulletin, maybe we project them on screens. I know we do here, but not everybody does. But I don't like to look at those personally. When, when someone else, when the, you know, a lecture is reading, when uh, the gospel is being proclaimed by one of our other pastors, you know, I like to sit and just let it listen, let it wash over me and to allow God's presence to be there, not to be actively trying to follow along, but, you know, hear the word and, and you know, by hearing comes faith. And so to, to stop and allow those words to wash over you instead of allowing yourself to, to think you have to do something in that moment, but that can happen with proclamation uh, that can happen in communion to take a moment, and allow those, that rest, that word of God to wash over you. And, you know, even if it's just for a moment, it kind of changes the way you worship and the, what's going on around you. And it's, it's powerful. And this is, goes back to language that you really is a linchpin for this whole Psalm is that remember, O Lord. And so what a great opportunity to, for us to remember his promises, but also to pray, Lord, remember me as you're sitting in worship and, and receiving that. This is why I love, we have a number of people who like to do solos here at our church. I love it when there's a solo because I have nothing to do. Like when they're doing a solo, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not jumping in. This is a solo. That's their time to, to proclaim and I get to receive um, what, what the Lord gives through this song, uh, through the word that comes through that person's mouth. And, and you're exactly right. I have to remind myself when that person's singing a solo or you're having a duet or something like that, I, I have nothing to do, just receive. And maybe that's our prayer too when we gather together as God's people. Now, Pastor, I do want, from verses 14 until the end, there, there's a lot of promises that the Lord gives. Uh, do you, any, any highlights you have from verses 14 through 18? Um, boy, you know, you're right. So many wonderful promises here of rest and dwelling and provision. Uh, God's gift of giving, you know, a lot of these point back to other things in the Old Testament, also the things in Christ. Uh, but I love, you know, verse 17, I think, is probably the one that stands out for me, though. I mean, we could talk about any of them. Um, you know, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. And the, you know, this, this imagery of the horn, you know, holding on to the horns, knowing, you know, the horns of the altar, um, there, there's some beautiful imagery, <clears throat> Old Testament-wise there, of the safety, the protection, the strength that comes from God's altar and the horns that are there. Um, if you were in trouble, you could go and run and, and grab to the horn and find God's grace and his love for you, but also the horns that were used to proclaim the victory of God and uh, it, during battle. So there's a lot of beautiful imagery here that, that kind of shoots out of that. And then also this idea of the lamp, the light uh, to the world that comes, right? The, the lamp that brings light and salvation. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path in Psalm 119. Uh, but also Jesus, you know, I am the light of the world. There, there's so many beautiful pictures here 
uh, of the the lamp and the light of God that shines in the dark places. You know, the the darkness cannot overcome it that we hear from John chapter one. And I just what I've read this you know this psalm several times, getting ready for this, and every time I come to Psalm seventeen, I find myself stopping and, and just pondering again. You know, the the gift of God's strength, the gift of His victory in the cross of Christ, the the word, the light of the of His word that guides every day. Um, that even in the darkest places, there's still a light that shines. And um, I, I I don't know how many times I've made it all the way to verse eighteen without being able to stop. Uh, just to to really ponder those words, and and they've been powerful for me. And I like the word. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. It's not, hey, get your get your lamp ready. You know, it said, I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. And I found myself too often as we go through the Psalms. I feel like I keep going back to Psalm twenty three. You prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I, I, I couldn't help also, verse 17, to go back to Psalm 23, which we often will just read without really thinking through or say at a funeral. But just think about the power of that, that he prepared a light for his anointed, which is you and I, the light of Christ, and he prepares a table to receive these gifts that, that, that he so graciously tells us in these verses. Pastor, anything else? We have about two minutes left in our time. Anything else you want to highlight? I think the last thing I would note here, I had a, a, a pastor mentor early on in ministry uh, guide me as I was learning how to pray the Psalms. And he always told me, one of the last things that you should think about is, you know, put yourself in, in Christ's ministry, in Christ's spot. Uh, he would have prayed all these Psalms. You know, Christ went up to Jerusalem. He would have prayed these with the other pilgrims as they went to Jerusalem. Um, when you pray these, you are praying them with Christ. You're praying these psalms and these beautiful words with Christ himself because he prayed them. And not only did he pray them, but he also wrote them, right? He is the, the word made flesh. And, you know, take a moment for yourself as you're praying the psalms and ponder you know, where Christ may have been. Of course, this is a little bit of a conjecture and puts us in, in a, a strange spot sometimes. We don't conjecture too much of scripture, but, you know, ask yourself, where where in Christ's ministry do you know, you know where he may have been praying this psalm? Uh, Luther encouraged this in some places as well. And see how that applies to your praying of this psalm. And, you know, I imagine Christ praying this uh, especially during Holy Week, he went up to Jerusalem many times and he knew the presence of the Father and he knew the presence of, of God and he knew his, his spot as the, the, the holder of the throne of David. And coming and knowing what he was going to be doing for us, he would be humbling himself, taking on, taking on truly our sin and becoming sin for us uh, so that we could have his righteousness and the joy that comes from us. Um, and because of that, he will one day give us the crown of eternal life that shines, uh, like the sun and what a joy it is to, to be able to put yourself there and see Christ's action for you through the Psalm and through what God is doing for us. And, uh, that's part of my prayer life as I pray the Psalms. 
Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas, giving us God's strong word through study and prayer. Pastor Heine, thank you for the gifts. Thank you for having me on, Pastor Finner. It's always a joy. Saints of our Lord, keep praying. The Psalms are a great start. As we see this, we see the Lord arising in Zion, and he arises to clothe you with his righteousness. And for us, we sing songs of joy. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.